Well, good morning, New Life Cooling Gather. I'm excited to be standing here, still up here. I know you're wondering, will this MC get off the stage? He will. But first, this morning is an exciting exciting morning for our church. We're doing something special as a church. Now, you may have been here um, in February. We had our vision month. We went through four kind of pillars of what it means to be a part of new life. It was that we gather together as community. We glue into community. Oh, oh, I got them wrong already. We gather, we glue, we grow, and we go. And, And the point of these four kind of words was that we become a church that are seeing more places filled with more people becoming more like Jesus. In other words, we're planting churches, and we're planting churches that plant churches. But I don't know if you know this, but churches are run through human beings that stand before God and say, we're laying it down and we're willing to follow you. In other words, churches are filled with leaders. And as a church, we're committed to seeing leaders get developed and raised uh, as a community. And so this morning, we're so excited to actually have two faithful and integral leaders in this community actually step up and preach 10 minutes each. Uh, and, and I've already heard it once. I'm telling you, we are blessed by what God has brought to them and how authentic and integrous they've been to the Word of God. So I, I'm just going to take a minute and invite our first uh, speaker up. You know him and love him from the front door, Daniel Bruce. But before you welcome him, let me just say a few things about him. Daniel has a, a diploma in ministry. Daniel has been faithfully serving for years in this church at the front door, passionately in front on a Sunday and behind the scenes, planning and dreaming about how we as a community can be more, more deeply integrated and make sure no one gets missed. He's also joined our Catalyst program, which is our leadership development program that we're launching in just a couple of weeks. And on top of that, he's passionate and willing, and he's asking this question. What does it mean for me to live a life laid down before God? Open to missions, open to church planting, open to whatever. He just says, what does it look like? So how about we put our hands together and invite him up? Good morning, New Life. As David has just excellently said, I am Daniel, not David. As uh, Hopefully there's no confusion there. Um, (laughs) A few weeks ago, I got the privilege to do announcements with Katie here for the first time, and uh, it looks like I didn't make too much of a fool of myself because I'm here again behind the pulpit about to deliver a message to you. Um, Today, Meek and I will be delving through 1 Peter 5, 5 to 11, with my particular focus on 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, on the antithesis of humility. It's a word I struggle with as much as the theme of today, pride. Um, 1 Peter 5.8 reads like this. Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, the temptation here is for me to do this in my own strength as I nailed... I'm going to say I nailed it. That's a bit of prideful there. I need to submit that um, in the first service. So will you bow your heads with me as I would glorify God? Lord, may Daniel fade in the background here and may you be exalted through this message. May I point towards you in all things, and at the end, may we recognize that you are God and that you are the only way to life. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Who here drives a car? Yeah, I see a few hands. I imagine it's most of us. Um, and who has been driving on the road, you know, minding your own business, and someone decides to take that piece of road that you're about to get into in front of you? Yeah, I think we have a few colorful things to say to that person in that moment. Um, what about, has anyone had an argument, a heated argument with a sibling, where, you know, there's 
tongues being poked out, you know, they're being stubborn as anything. These moments, guys, we walk away saying, wow, my day is infinitely better after this situation, right? No, guys, come on, none of us like that. It's ugly. It's ugly, isn't it? Yet despite our general consensus, how often do we find ourselves being prideful? It's a real problem. Do we understand that? Do we really understand that? Maybe we are sitting here saying, what on earth even is pride? You're not alone. Getting this uh, message prepared for you today, I learned a lot. So let's see what the Bible has to say on pride. 1 Peter 5.8. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's pretty clear this passage is about lions, right? If we were to do a quick word association on lions, what were some of the characteristics we would attribute to them? They're powerful, right? These guys are huge. They go to the gym six days a week. They're fierce. These guys have fangs as sharp as anything. They could probably cut a car in half if they wanted to as being the kings of the jungle. Who else in the Bible is described as a lion? This is the textbook answer, guys. Jesus is the answer. Yes, that's right. Um, Why is this relevant? This is relevant because Satan, too, is being described as a lion. And what is he doing? He's prowling around. He's roaring and prowling around. Do you know why lions roar? They roar to establish their territory and to communicate their power. Satan is loudly declaring his fierceness and his power. And what is he doing with those? He's looking to devour you and I. His power is predatory. We know what Jesus is like, and he's definitely not walking around trying to devour us. But Satan is imitating the image of God to oppose God's ways. I have this helpful image We all know what policemen look like. You know, the guys and gals in blue walking around with a badge and they generally keep the law. Imagine if you were to take one of their uniforms, grab that badge, and go around and start telling what people to do. We don't have the power or authority to do that. We get thrown into jail if we do that, right, guys? This is what Satan is doing. He's using God's uniform, God's power, and God's authority without being God. How arrogant would you have to be to assume that you have the right and authority to do what God does in defiance of his will and his direction? That is pride. In Satan's pride, biblical and secular kind of land on this definition of pride. A high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority, superiority, whether as cherished in the mind or as displayed in bearing or conduct. In Satan's pride, he tries to wear God's uniform, parading around like he's the big man on the scene, playing God. And where does this land him? Ezekiel tells us in 28:17, Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Satan fell in love with his own story and was devoured by his pride. For his pride, he was cast from heaven, from dwelling with God, the place we all aspire to be at, with the person we all aspire to be with. This sounds way too familiar, right? If we cast back to Genesis 3, 4, and 5, 
It reads like this. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Our enemy, the devil, came to us in Eden in the form of a serpent and tempted us with the same lie that devoured him. Adam and Eve succumbed to their pride and were cast from the intimate presence of God as a consequence. In fact, it's not too hard to find that human history is marked by tragedy after tragedy as a consequence of our prideful rebellion. And do we not make the same choice daily? To say, I don't need you, God. I know what's best for me. I will honor myself with that lustful desire or boast in my achievements or satiate myself. But it's never enough, is it? There's always something more. We are never, ever satisfied I want to be Lord in my own life. Wayne Mack writes it like this. Pride consists in attributing to ourselves the honor, privilege, rights, and power that are due to God alone. Pride at its core is idolatry of self. A proud person has put himself or herself in God's place. It's no wonder then that it says in Proverbs 16, 5, that the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. God hates pride. God does not hate much. But it says a few times in the Bible that God hates pride. And the reason God hates pride so much is the proud person tries to displace God. And God will not share his glory with another. God hates pride, and not only that, he actively opposes the proud, as we see in 1 Peter 5.5. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why? Because he loves us. This helpful illustration for me is imagine a father and a child, and behind them is a road. We know what a road is to a child. There's cars on there, there's other dangerous things. It's death to an infant. But any good parent will tell their child not to run toward the road, but that any child's going to not listen to their parent and run towards it anyway. <laughs> we know this. As a father, does you stand back and let your child run towards their destruction? So what you see is the father on the other side of the child pushing back saying, no, do not run towards the road. That is going to, that's the death. You don't want to go that way. Pushing back. God, this is an important distinction to make, guys. God opposes the proud, not the, the pride, not the person out of love for us. Out of that love, God recognizes that pride hates us. That like the road was to the child in the illustration, pride separates us from the gifts and the goodness and the life that only God brings. That it leads to our destruction. But we all have an image of what someone who is consumed by pride looks like, right? Some of the fruits of pride might look something like this. Who here has ever been told what to do? I know we have parents, and you may have been told to clean your room a few times, and who does that gleefully, like, yes, I love cleaning my room. No, I generally mutter under my breath and say a few other colorful things. Um, pride leads to disobedience instead of submission. Or when we're prideful, we think we are the bee's knees. We know best. And how often in that moment do we point outwardly and say, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, or we judge them for something that maybe we are the ones struggling with. Pride leads to a judgmental, critical spirit instead of one of love. 
and in stepping on the people around us, maybe pointing out everyone else's faults and not our own, do we not isolate ourselves? Pride leads to isolation instead of community. Do we recognize any of the fruits of pride in our lives today? Let me say that again. Do we recognize any of the fruits of pride in our lives today? We were sold the lie that we wouldn't die when we ate the fruit in Eden. But as we all feel today, and as it states in Ephesians 2, verse 1, we are dead to our sins. We are devoured by our pride. We all suffer under the weight of our own pridefulness. But God. But God has not left us to our own devices. And as it says in 1 Peter 5.5, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The antithesis to pride is humility. Humility is this, recognizing the truth that we are incapable of our own salvation and submitting that to God. Mika is going to come up in a minute and further expand on this, but let us remember this one thing. I, Daniel, cannot be God, and neither can you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, standing here before you, I struggle with pride, and I imagine most of us here, if not all of us, struggle with pride too. And sometimes it can feel like fighting gravity to not respond in the way that wells up inside of us when it is wounded. Father, we know that we do not have it all together and we cannot be our own saviour. Only you can do that, Lord. Will you help us? Maybe shine a light on those parts of our lives that we have tried to take control back. And remember that we suck at being like you, Jesus. But you don't mind. You went on the cross, set aside your majesty to say that the debt that we could not pay is paid. We love you, God, and we thank you for this. In your mighty name, amen. Hey, can we give Daniel a massive round of applause for that phenomenal word? It's amazing. Hey, next we've got uh, Mika Hurd. You may recognize her from the person who gives you coffees every Sunday, so you'll probably naturally really, really, really feel good when she gets up on stage. But hey, let me tell you something more about her. Uh, Mika is actually currently studying her diploma of ministry, and, and like Daniel, she's asked the question, what does it mean for me to live a life laid down before God? What, what, what will it cost? But where might I go? What journey might he take me on? And she's willing to discover it. So like Daniel, she also has signed up to do our Catalyst program, which is that leadership, future pastors, future leaders of Christian leaders uh, program. Um, but also on top of that, um, she has faithfully served in our church week in and week out, sewed into the vision and believed in the vision of more people more like Jesus. Yes, in the cafe, but also as one of our core young adult leaders, leading one of our groups and doing teachings and leading young people, well, more close to Jesus. So it's been, it's phenomenal. And I'm so excited uh, to have her here sharing a word. So why don't we give a round of applause to Mika. Hey guys, thank you so much for that. And thank you, Daniel. That was phenomenal. Don't you agree, guys? Daniel did such an incredible job at diagnosing the problem of pride. And then he identified the solution as humility. So let's chat more on what humility is and how we can practically face the problem of pride. 
On Good Friday, Scott gave us an incredible message about Jesus' love on display and how Jesus is our ultimate example of what it means to be humble. The all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, all-holy God stepped down from heaven, humbled himself before God and died a death he did not deserve so that you and I can have eternal life. The reality of that really hit home for me on Easter Sunday when I woke up to some Easter eggs and a letter from my sister saying, Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could never pay. Jesus' act of humility, becoming a human and taking on my sin, on your sin, on the sin of the whole world so that we can have eternal life. I think that's pretty exciting, don't you? So let's jump in and learn more about this exciting truth. We turn to 1 Peter 5, verse 5 to 11. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God oppresses the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Before we go any further, would you like to join me in prayer? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for this opportunity to glorify you. God, I pray that I am just a vessel in which you use, God, that everyone sees you and falls more in love with you. God, that it's not my words, but that it's yours. God, that I come to you in humble submission. I pray this in your mighty name. Amen. So in Luke, Jesus tells us this incredible story about someone who goes and sits at the top of a table in the best seat. Is this something you've ever done? Have you ever walked in somewhere and just assumed the best position? Maybe you're the boss and you've walked into a meeting and you just sit at the head of the table. Or maybe you're a regular at your cafe down the road and instead of lining up one day, you just go up to the barista and you order your coffee straight away. I think all of us have done something like this at some stage. But it's not the Jesus way. This is not how Jesus explains humility. So... As sinful and prideful humans, we do a lot of good things in order to feel good or to, or to gain something from that. But that is not what true humility is. We cannot humble ourselves out of a prideful ambition to gain something. Rather, Jesus says, come with a humble attitude to give and not to gain. Because God oppresses the proud but gives grace to the humble. So what is true gospel humility? 
C.S. Lewis explains it as not thinking less of myself, but thinking of myself less. He's referring to what Jesus said in the story in Luke. We should not come with the perspective we're better than anyone or that we're worse than anyone, but come with the perspective that we should think of others more than we think of ourselves. Jesus illustrates this perfectly throughout his entire life. But one really cool example is in Matthew 20, 28. For even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' entire mission on earth was to serve. He's the only one that could come, sit at the head of that table, and actually deserve to be there. But we never see him do that. Instead, we see him clothe himself with humility and wash the disciples' feet in John 13. In all the Gospels, we see him clothe himself with humility and die a death he did not deserve. So where in your life are you acting like Christ? Where are you coming with a mission to humbly serve others? Realistically, every single situation, we should come with the mission to always have a mindset to serve and to be humble. If we come to God in humble submission with the mindset to serve, he may exalt us. Like verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Like Jesus said in his, in his story, we must always come to the humble position. And if you do so, he doesn't promise you'll be exalted every time. Rather, he says you may be exalted. There'll be times you won't be exalted. And that's okay because being humble means you're okay not being exalted. However, there will be times that you are exalted. That is really exciting. But it's a little bit scary. It can come with added pressure, additional responsibilities, increased influence. That's stressful, right? That can be really scary. And when we face these new positions, we feel inadequate, anxious, not good enough. So we must humble ourselves before God and give him those feelings. That's why we're called to cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Peter uses cast as an energetic word. It emphasizes the need to do something, like clothing yourself with humility. We're all wearing clothes right now because we made a conscious decision not to be naked. Thank goodness for that. And we dressed ourselves as a response to that decision. This is the same. We should cast our cares on God because we're making a decision to be humble and then actually walking through with that by casting our cares upon him. In that act of casting our cares is an act of humility. Being proud is being in control, sustaining oneself out of your own abilities. But being humble is releasing that control unto God, letting him sustain us. And when we give everything to God in humble submission under his mighty hand, he will shift our mindset because it's in God's strength. And God's strength alone that we're able to do anything. True humility is recognizing our desperate need for God in every situation. So therefore, let's cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for you. If we don't recognize our desperate need for God in every situation, that opens the door for the enemy to enter into. 
Then he'll bring pride, division, selfishness, and a separation from us and our loving Father. So let's be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The enemy is always looking for that open door, the chance to pounce. So think of any ball sport or racket sport. If you're playing and you take your eyes off the ball for a split second, we'll miss the shot. Likewise, if we take our eyes off God for a split second and focus on ourselves, that gives the devil enough time to enter in and establish pride. So being sober-minded must be our priority because it focuses us on Christ and the promises he has for us in verse 10. After you've suffered a little while, because we're all going to suffer, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So how do we receive this? We receive this by verse 5. God oppresses the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we humble ourselves under his mighty hand, he promises, he promises to give us grace to strengthen us through any suffering that we're going to experience. If we humble ourselves under his mighty hand, we can do things through his strength. So everything comes through God's grace. Doesn't this make you smile? When I think of this, it makes me smile. It makes me fall more in love with God because the God of all grace, the God of all power, the God of all of these things has called you and me into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. So God is the light at the end of the tunnel because it's not in our strength that we can do anything. It's by God's grace and God's strength that we can overcome this. So how do we see the fruit of these promises? We must humble ourselves under his mighty hand because our God is a God who cares. Our God is a God who loves. Our God is a God who will overcome all things. So to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We only have the ability and the power to be humble because of what Jesus has done for us. Because he died a debt and paid a debt he did not owe so that we can have eternal life. Jesus is our ultimate example of what it means to be humble. Not only has he given us this perfect example, he's gifted us with the Holy Spirit to help us walk in humility. So guys, let's humble ourselves before the, God, before the Lord. Not only because that's what Jesus did but because God oppresses the proud but gives grace to the humble. So how do we live that out? We be humble. We come to every situation with a mindset to serve, to give. And when we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, he promises to give us strength by his grace. So I challenge you, what would it look like if we were a people who walked in every situation with the mindset to serve and to be humble. So let's go to God. Let's ask him to bring humble conviction in every situation. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying a death. You dying a death you did not need to do. 
but for us. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray that we can come to you in humble submission, that you are the Lord of our lives, that you are on the throne of our lives, God, that we can come to you and give you everything we've got. Because it's only by your strength that you can do it, that we can do it, God. You are a good God. Thank you, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Can we thank Mika? How amazing. We're so blessed to have two up-and-coming leaders and actually up-and-coming, already coming. They were phenomenal. Um, Hey, maybe you're in this room and you hear this sermon about humility, about pride and all of this, Lord, and you're sitting here with a couple of questions. First and foremost, perhaps you're still asking, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Or maybe you're in this room and you're asking yourself, uh, you you know, I get pride. I know pride. I've tasted pride. I don't know how to beat this thing. I don't know how to, this thing is a, a, like fighting gravity, as Daniel said. This thing is the weight of the world. I, I've tried to resist it, but it's like a spiritual force opposing me. And I want to point us back to verse 7, where it says this, cast all of our anxieties on him. On who? On God. Why? Because he, God, cares for us. Daniel uh, offered an analogy or a picture before of a kid charging onto a road and a parent, out of love for that kid, standing in between him and that road and actually pushing back against the kid, pushing back against the kid, but not against the kid, but for the kid. Not because he wants to hurt the kid, but because he loves the kid. And this is so important for us to understand. It's because God cares for us that he's called us to be mindful of our pride, to turn to him, to submit to him and say, God, I actually, I actually don't know that much. I'm actually not that smart. I don't have very much power. I can only be where I am right now. I can't be in all places at all times. Like, I am not big enough to fill God's throne I don't know if you've ever seen it. My nephew loves cars to pieces. And whenever, he, whenever I arrive at my sister's house, he always wants to get into the front seat of my car. So I put him in the front seat of my car, and he looks ridiculous. He looks stupid. Like, he can't even reach the steering wheel or the pedals, obviously. And I wonder if sometimes that's what we look like when we try and scramble through life, trying to fill God's throne, wailing around, arms flailing up and down, totally lost. And the reason God cares for us enough to point out that the pride is the problem is because as Daniel pointed out, as Mika pointed out, pride is destroying, tearing down, hurting our lives. It separates us from goodness. It separates us from that place called heaven, which if nothing else can just be described as close to God or close to the goodness of God, close to his blessing, his fruits, his love. And as we are distanced from this place, we find, and we find only one thing in, in, in that place distant from God, and that's suffering, hurt, brokenness. And I don't think I need to convince anyone in the room of this, right? We all feel it. And so we're gonna, I'm going to invite us as a church and as a family to respond to this. And we're going to do something awkward in a minute. We're going to do 30 seconds of silence, Now, I hate silence. So if you're grading and you're like, I don't want to do this, I'm grading and I'm thinking, man, really, silence? But yeah, it's powerful. It's a spiritual weapon to sit for 30 seconds and actually tell our brains who's boss. 
Tell our brains that we're not God. Remind ourselves that he is enough and ask him to open our eyes, open our hearts to the places that we are caught up in our pride. We all, or many of us have jobs, different places and different ways we interact with different people in those jobs, whether with a boss or an employee. We have families, friends, hobbies, talents. We have all of these areas of our lives that we live in. And in each and every relationship, we come before God and say, God, open my eyes. How am I trying to assert my dominance? How am I trying to one-up? How am I trying to be king here? How am I so afraid of being second that I am scrambling to take power? And we all have the opportunity, if not a living, walk with God. And this is the space where we say to God, how am I trying to fill your throne? Where am I not just saying, maybe you're good, maybe you really are good. I don't really know that much. I'm making a bunch of assumptions based on a bit of life experience and that's all I have. I don't know that much. God, maybe you are as good as you say you are. Maybe you are as in control as you say you are. Maybe I can actually lay down my life today and say, Lord, I will trust and I will follow you anew today. And so as we sit in silence, not only should we consider the life that we live, but also our intimacy with Jesus. And if you're in this room and perhaps you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, perhaps in this room you consider this idea of Jesus weird or strange or different, I want to let you know it is weird, it is strange, it is different to the way normal life looks. Why? Because God is good and He is a blessing to life. And He promises and fulfills His promises and He satisfies in a way nothing else in this world ever will. He is different. He is strange and that's uncomfortable. But I dare you in these 30 seconds to open your eyes to God and say, look, I don't know much, but maybe, maybe, stir something. If you're there, I'm open. Why not? Pride is robbing us of our life and our joy. Let's not give it the last word. Let's give that to Jesus today. I'm gonna pray. And then the worship, um, well, Ashley's gonna play over us for the 30 seconds. And then the worship team is gonna come and lead us in a song to respond to the goodness of God. Join with me in prayer. Lord God, who are we that you think about us? that you know us, that you're mindful of us, that you are present in this room right now and being aware and attentive to the positions and the places of the hearts of the people in this room, that you know me and you know where my heart's at. You know how I do with pride. And you say, David, I love you either way. Would you just trust me? That you know the stories of every person in this room and every circumstance that has brought us here. And you say, you are here for a purpose that I have engineered and I'm doing something good today. Holy God, we thank you over the next 30 seconds that your spirit is not going to leave an empty room empty and you're not going to leave it in awkward silence. But as we authentically, as we with integrity turn our minds and our eyes towards you, you will meet us where we are. And that is a promise of the Bible and we can count on it. So I pray you be stirring faith and anticipation in this room. I pray you be turning our hearts towards you. By the power of your blood, Jesus, we thank you that you are enough. 
There is no distance we've traveled too great. You've got us. You love us. You've chased us down. And this is the moment which you're calling us into a greater intimacy with you. Jesus, by your name we pray. Amen.